Let's take a little time to reveal The prehistoric stories that the earth once concealed Mix them all together on this ancient land It's time to spread some paleo jam Hello, I'm your host Michael Mills. Welcome to the latest edition of Paleo Jam. I am with Dr. Ellen Mather. Welcome. And uh, Tim Niderer. Yep. And um, we are going to talk about, well, we're going to, Australia is often known as a country of kangaroos, of snakes, poisonous, venomous things, hoppy things, dingoes and stuff. But we're going to talk about some stuff that you might not necessarily think when you think of Australia and its prehistoric stories. And so to do that, straight off, we're going to talk about because we bring a, an object to each of the episodes. So, um, Ellen, what have you got? Well, what I'm holding in my hands right here is the tarsometatarsus. So the, what does that even mean? Well, a tarsometatarsus <laughs> is a bone in the legs of birds. So yep. in a human, the equivalent would be all the little bones in our feet. But in a bird, these bones are all fused together into one. And so what we would call our tarsal bones, so um, this has been fused together into a tarsometatarsus. Yep, so, okay. So it's, it's, a com it's, a, it's a combo bone. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yep. So, but this is special because this comes from a vulture. Which is interesting, like a vulture in Australia. We just don't think like you, you know. We, you know, I grew up watching the Jungle Book and remember that scene of the vultures standing around and singing and stuff. So you very much think of them as something in Africa and African deserts and stuff, mm -hmm. but um, not something we think about in Australia. And, and we'll come back to that and talk about that. So Tim, what did you bring? Uh, so I'm holding a fossil of the distal tibiotarsus of a flamingo. So again, what, say that again. Distal tibiotarsus. Ah, of course. So, um, yeah, like Ellen was saying, birds have a lot of fused bones. The tibiotarsus, it's basically the equivalent of what we have as the tibia. Um, so, like, the shin bone, I guess. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so this is of Xenorancopsis tibialis, uh, the biggest, uh, or one of the biggest of the um, flamingo species we had here in the Pleistocene. Yeah. Okay, so flamingos. Flamingos and vultures in Australia. And I suppose it stands to reason. I mean, birds fly. So, <laughs> so they do have the capacity to get around. So um, my object I brought, um, so I brought I brought a giant scissor tooth possum skull, um, or I, I like to call it that, or a drop bear, um, <laughs> or also known as thylacalia. And the reason I brought that is because... Um, for me, I wanted to bring something that that we, those who study prehistoric Australia, kind of it's like okay, that that's the kind of thing that we expect to find, isn't it? That's the kind of okay. It, it's a, it's a pouch. It's an animal, giant marsupial with a pouch, a leopard size carnivore climb tree. So this is this is within what our expectations are. But more importantly, what each of you have brought is so, Ellen. Let's 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 come back to yours. So. <laughs> Of vulture. Now, I understand this was. So, do you go out and find this out in the field, or was it part of the collections that's been sitting there? So, actually, this specimen here is from 
the Australian Museum and it's part of the old collections there. So in this case, the old collections come are a collection from the Wellington Caves in New South Wales. So this specimen was probably first dug up out of the caves sometime in the late 19th to early 20th century and was kept in a private collection for probably decades before finally being donated to a museum. And throughout that time, people knew it was there, saw that it, but but it was the research that you folk did that suddenly went, hang on a minute, this is a vulture. Pretty much, yeah. So it goes to show how a lot of the time there's um, research and new species aren't necessarily discovered by just going out into the field and finding new things. It can also be about looking over stuff we already have that has been overlooked for many years. Yeah, and sometimes I suppose that that overlooking can be a result of, of you know, the knowledge at the time. It's like, oh, okay, that's just that's just an eagle foot. That's just a thing. That's just, yeah, we don't need to have a close look at that. But then when you go back through the drawers, and there are lots of examples of people going back through drawers in museums and universities with the knowledge of what we have now since the thing was discovered and go, um, actually, actually, we, we think it's this. Okay, so, Tim, the discovery of the, the, the bone that you've got and, and, and the, the, the flamingo thing, because I, I read about, I can... It might have been Tim Flannery's Future Readers where he talks about flamingos. And I remember reading about it and thinking, what? Flam- what? Flamingo? Like Lake Eyre? Full of, like what? How do you, what? Yeah. So this, this particular um, fossil, what's its story? So this uh, this was dug up um, out of Cooper Creek in the Lake Eyre Basin in the early 1900s. Uh, it was originally described by DeVee, who thought it was some kind of a stork. It wasn't until um, in the 1980s Pat Rich uh, did a revision of uh, this material and some other things and realised this is actually a flamingo. Um, Yeah, which is quite interesting. So there looks to have been multiple species in Australia uh, that were all sort of coexisting around Lake Eyre and the Central Lakes. doing the flamingo thing. Um, doing the flamingo Yeah, thing. all the material that we've got for them is post-cranial, so like limb bones. Uh, so we haven't got anything to really tell us what their heads looked like, but we're kind of assuming if they were in sort of vast lakes, they were likely probably filter feeding. Still yep. like the modern ones do. So, so they're not going to be these flingos with sharp pointy teeth. Uh, no, not at that point in time. <laughs> they're, they're a bit too recent to have had teeth. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the interesting thing is, is there's what, half a dozen species here in Australia? Possibly. possibly. Uh, it looks like some of them might be synonymized, but... So I mean, when you say of... synonymized, what that means is that it's, uh, it's so the like... same... So you find bones and you think it might be different species, but it's like, is, is it the, the clumper versus splitter thing? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Okay. So uh, basically it's like there might be two things that were thought to be different things, but then when you look at them, you realise, mm, actually, they're probably the same ones, just a little bit bigger. So, and the differences aren't enough to go, actually, it's a new species. It's yeah. two different species. Which brings us to the to the to the vultures, doesn't it? Because it was thought that it was an eagle. And so what was it 
when you're looking at this in with 2022, 2021 eyes, what is it that made you go, actually, it's not that? And, and what was that moment like? So um, the metatarsus is a very important bone in birds, you know, namely because they have to use it to walk around on, but also because it can tell us a lot about what birds are using their feet for. And as you might imagine, in an eagle, the feet are very important for capturing and killing prey. So that means that the metatarsus has a lot of structures and scarring on it for muscle attachments that would allow them to have that strength. Now, a vulture, being a scavenger, doesn't need that kind of power. And so as a result, it has much more reduced structures and less or shallower muscle scarring. And so just by looking at a vulture foot versus a eagle one, you can see that there are very noticeable differences between the two. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? Just just, just that just, just that thing. And, but I suppose it's a significant thing, isn't it? Because mm. it's, it's these feet are fit for this purpose and these feet are fit for this purpose. So was it you as you're going through the stuff that that went eureka because there's some there's moments when you find something when you're out in the field and and i've been out in the field i remember being down at emu bay and and somebody's cracked a fossil open and it's an anomalocara thing and people are going oh this is different so there's that moment of exhilaration of stuff so what, what was that moment so i believe that some of these bones like other researchers have previously before me suggested the presence of vultures in Australia so again I believe Pat Rich was one of them as was um, Jerry Van Tetz and more recently um, there was Priscilla Gaff who did a master's thesis involving the topic back in 2001 and so my research was sort of looking into confirming whether or not that was the case Um, and so part of in the case of this species that this tarsometatarsus came from, the crucial aspect that was able to let us to link it up to um, a vulture was also by connecting it to another bone from Cooper Creek, which was of a distal humerus. Now, the distal humerus also an important... Well, the humerus as a whole is also important in birds because that's basically the base of the wing, and the wing, of course, is important in flight. Yep. And so this humerus had um, certain features on it that had been suspected to be vulturine in nature, but had never really been directly confirmed. But when looking through the material um, of suspected eagles from the Wellington case, we were able to find these distal humeri that were identical to the Cooper Creek specimen, which showed the exact same features and were in say, rough association with the tarsometatarsus, which you know, allows us to connect two vulturine-looking bones to the same species and allowed us to build you know, a good case for why this species is a vulture. So you've, 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 you've got your mostly empty jigsaw puzzle box yeah. <laughs> um, without the picture on the front, um, but you've managed to find a few other pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. And so being able to make that connection was quite exciting. Yeah, yeah. So, so Tim, Tim, for you, with with the flamingo thing, was there a moment for you, where like a eureka moment in looking at this stuff? Um, well, so the stuff I was looking at, we already knew that they were flamingos yeah. um, when I was coming into it. So for my honours project, 
I was looking at material from the Pleistocene, primarily, and the previously published material suggests that there might have been four species, uh, which we thought seemed like a lot, because in modern flamingos you usually have two species that live together. Uh, in like in the Andes in South America, you've got three that overlap in a really small area, but generally it's two. So we thought it was a bit weird that there were four living together, and uh, looking at the bones, it... I mean, one of the questions we had was, could it be possibly two species with size dimorphism, so size differences, mm -hmm. uh, which I guess I kind of assumed, well, maybe it's uh, sexual size dimorphism, so like larger males, smaller females. Uh, so looking at the material, uh, just like describing it to begin with, we kind of found that some of them did look really similar to each other, even though they were different sizes. Uh, I did some geometric morphometrics, uh, which is basically doing... So what does that... What, what geometric... What, what, what does that mean? It's... <laughs> I like to describe it as using maths to describe shape. Yeah. Uh, so it basically... Ah, uh, maths. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful maths. Um, so, so folk, do maths at school. Do maths. It can be fun when computers help you do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we basically kind of plotted uh, different points around the bones, uh, basically landmarks, so things that we could compare easily between each set, and compared them to each other using geometric morphometrics, and it kind of grouped them together uh, in different ways. Not exactly how we expected. There were different species that I expected to group together, and I was wrong about that, uh, but it looked like I was right in thinking that they did group together in some way, just not how I expected. Which is cool, isn't it? Because cause the whole point of research is not to simply confirm the thing that you think is the thing, but if it confirms something else, which is equally interesting, that in itself is, a, is an important outcome, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, I want to... Yeah. I, I want to... So... so does so so birds fly um we there was a really interesting conversation i had with steve porapat a couple of years ago where we were talking about long necks and i'd written a tune for old mate prof flint about savannosaurus and what the research suggests is that australian long necks came from I've got to remember how the song goes anyway they, they come from south america crossed over antarctica and arrived here in australia but I posed the question to him and I said, so how do we know it wasn't the other way around? And he said, it is slightly possible that that might be the case, but given the preponderance of long necks and stuff we find in South America, it's probably the way that we think it is. Origin of vultures and flamingos. Um, we know that songbirds come from here we know australia has an extraordinary uh bird heritage in terms of the things that are out around the world at the moment. like i think more than just just yeah so many species can trace their origin to the song to the songbirds here in australia does does the research you've done or is there anything that tells us about the origins of these um ellen do you want to go first uh, so the oldest um, vulture fossils, or specifically the occipitrid vultures, which 
my which our vultures are a part of um they are from the i believe the late oligocene to my oh, no sorry i got that mixed up so That's vultures cool. um as a family subfamily first appear in the fossil record during the Miocene and this is throughout Asia somewhat and Europe to a degree and so this is thought to have been associated with the um, expansion of grasslands at the time and the rise of large browsing uh, mammals so which would leave a lot of carcasses around which would create a resource for a scavenger to survive on. Yeah, so the vultures are going, here's a chance. Well, more like, more like the ancestors of the, the vultures yeah. were seizing an, op seizing an opportunity. Yeah, rather than chasing after... And, and I often talk about that, that thing where, like, because people, like, using T-Rex as an example, there's this whole conversation, like, was it a scavenger, was it a hunter? It's like, well, if you've got dinner just sitting there that's dead, or you can risk injury and chase after something, well, you're going you're gonna to eat the thing that's just there. So if there's a lot of things that are just there, then I suppose over a period of time, it's like you, you, that, that becomes the niche. Mm. Um, origin of flamingos. Tim. Flamingos. Where uh, was, who was the first flamingo? Where did it live? <laughs> so in Europe, they have fossils of flamingos dating back to the late Eocene. Uh, the oldest Australian ones we have are late Oligocene. So, based on the fossil record, it looks potentially like they were in Europe, but it may just be that... that that's a symptom of the fossil record. Yeah. And that's the thing we always have to be wary of, isn't it? Is, is, is that, that it's the, the deductions we're making are based on the fossils that we've found, which can be quite a different thing to the things that, that were actually there. So, so the assumption is with, with vultures and flamingos... They came here from somewhere else, but who knows? Um, so there are no flamingos in Australia anymore. There are two dead ones at the South Australian Museum, there are, um, yep. and they were the last two that were. Here. They they were, um, they'd come from Africa, and I think one was eighty years old, and so they lived mm. quite extraordinary. One was a, a Chilean species. Oh, as well. Yes, that's yeah. right, Chilean and Africa. So. Um, and there are no living vulture species in Australia. So, so what happened? Uh, well, with the flamingos, the most recent fossils that we have are late Pleistocene. So that kind of... So how long ago is that for, for folk listening? Uh, so I mean, the Pleistocene ended about 11,000 years ago. Yep. So um, pretty recent. Like we're, we're talking about flamingos here in Australia. 10, 15,000 years ago. Yeah, uh, it would have been a bit a bit longer ago than that. Uh, but it sort of correlates with when the lakes were drying up. So it looks like, well, they either died with the lakes uh, or they flew elsewhere. They are quite capable. <laughs> They've just of... gone, we're out. <laughs> yeah. Um... Uh, don't like it here anymore. The lake's gone. <laughs> Let's go. And I suppose because, yeah, they're a bird, they fly. So if, if, if the environment in which they're living becomes too much of a challenge... They can fly. Whereas old mate Thylacoleo sitting right there next to me, they can't. They can't go anywhere. They can. They can try migrating and stuff. Um, and that's it. So, so Thylacoleo and um, flamingos would have lived in the same area, or would have hung out. Well, not hung out. They're not. They would, I mean, they wouldn't have been friends. <laughs> but they were on the continent at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, 
extinction of vultures in Australia. And have we seen vultures go extinct anywhere else? Uh, that's actually a very interesting point because, um, so technically there are two known groups of vultures today. So there's the, so traditionally they've been called the old world and the new world vultures, which to reflect their distribution, but it's also a very Eurocentric name. So I prefer to call them the Accipitrid and the Gefartid vultures, which reflects the families that they are from. Yep. So the Accipitrid vultures are part of Accipitridae, which includes the eagles, and the Gefartid vultures are the Gefartidae, which are, um, include the condors. So, um, yep. so today the Accipitrid vultures are restricted to Africa, Europe, and Asia, so which explains why traditionally they were called Old World. Yep. Um, whereas the Cafarded vultures are found in um, North and South America. But we do know from the fossil record that Accipitrid vultures were also once present in North America, and they actually lived alongside the Cafarded vultures. And so this sort of correlates with what's happened in Australia, so where we've. Um, so so it's clear that um, the late Pleistocene sort of brought extinctions of um, scavenging birds on a lot of continents, so particularly the Americas and Australia. Okay, so d does that, coming back to old mate Thylacoleo and Diprotodons and all of these big piles of hopping marsupial and climbing marsupial meat that were around, so does it coincide with their extinction? So that's quite likely. So um, the so the the fossil record of vultures in Australia goes until we think around sixty thousand years ago. So towards like that cutoff point where most of the megafaunal marsupials in Australia went extinct. And so when you think about it, that would have resulted in this dieback of large-bodied mammals, which would have been a crucial food source for the vultures would have been pretty catastrophic for them. So if you don't have enough food to go around, then less individuals are surviving. And vultures as a whole don't have a very high reproductive output. Most species only lay one egg in a breeding season. So if um, so, it's more difficult for them to recover from declines in population. And if there's all, and if it's not just a matter of habitat, but also um, a loss of their food, then it makes it much harder for them to survive. Yep, yep, absolutely. All right, so um, just in a picture, Australia, and often, and the first time I ever pictured Australia, prehistoric Australia, in a real sense, was reading Flannery's Future Eaters because he paints such fabulous pictures of Diprotodons and, and Thylacoleo and Genionos and all those things. And, and it was from that that I developed my first genuine interest in learning about our prehistoric story here in Australia and, and all of the things that, that, that I've done since then that flowed from that. But what's really fascinating about the work that you two have been involved with is that it just adds this other dimension, doesn't it? It's like flamingos and vultures. What? Um, other Dr. Ellen worked on cuckoos. Um, and I wrote a tune about um, Centropus Maximus 
this cuckoo. I'm like, what do you mean cuckoos in Australia? It's giant cuckoo that lived on the Nullarbor Plain, like maybe up to two kilograms. And again, these are things that you don't think of when you think of Australia. Is there anything else that, that you might know of that you think, oh, this is interesting, that's, that's not a giant hoppy thing or a poisonous thing or a pouched thing or a... Um, and maybe there's there's other stuff, and I suppose that's the thing. There's there's, there's other stuff yet to be discovered, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that that's always the thing. There's there's always yeah things that we haven't found yet, things that we may never find as things go. Um, I mean, in terms of flamingos, uh, there's a sister taxon, so like sort of a cousin group, I guess. Uh, Paleolodids. Uh, so they are. I like to visualize them as like a kind of almost a goose proportioned flamingo so they're a bit stockier but still kind of wader proportioned and we don't really know a lot about what they did or what they did differently to flamingos to coexist in the same habitats with them uh, so that's something I'm really interested in finding out um, with my PhD research as well which is cool because there's there's a I mentioned the South Australian Museum before. There's a really cool exhibit um, in the South Australian Biodiversity Gallery, and it's of half a dozen different birds, and they all coexist in the same place, and they've all got different shaped beaks, and and it's such a cool spot. People walk past it constantly, but it's such a cool, such a cool spot. to have a look at and have a conversation about to people in terms of adaptation and and things just living together but also then what happens if something else comes into that environment and ecosystem okay we've got about four minutes to go um i want to ask you a little bit about each of yourselves so uh ellen first quick story were you a dinosaur kid Yes, I was. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Did you? Yeah, so you watched all the Jurassic Parks and you watched all the... And you had all the books. I uh, Yeah, so dinosaur books, dinosaur toys, all had sort of been growing up. Yeah, I was... Um, and, you know, to go of that, my parents were also vets and I was always that interest in animals too. Oh, so did you get to, like... Did, did they have... Did, did you get to, like, hang out at the surgery and see, I suppose, the, the, the how things work? I did get to, yeah, as a kid, a couple of times go down to the surgery and I actually helped out while I was um, in high school. So as a, you know, part-time, like during the holidays. Yeah. And then you become a paleontologist and we suddenly realise that birds are dinosaurs. So you get to work (laughs) on modern day and prehistoric dinosaurs as well. Yeah, basically. How cool is that? Tim, your story. How did you come to be sitting in this room with me and Ellen? Uh, So I was definitely a dinosaur kid as well. I grew up on... Land Before Time, Jurassic Park, all that stuff. And yeah, I guess I, I always had an appreciation of nature. Like as a kid, like I'd be watching nature documentaries while other kids might be watching cartoons. And like I did watch cartoons as well, but anything that I could kind of like watch about nature and how things worked really excited me. Um, yeah, and then as I got older, that somehow just kind of gravitated towards paleontology and brought me here. So. Yep, and so Ellen, you've you've you're you're now Doctor Ellen. Yes. Um, Tim, you're going to be Doctor Tim. Ain't hoping to be. All that's going the plan. well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All goes to plan. Uh, yeah, that's 
that's the aim. So, so you are, what do we call it, PhD candidate? Uh, is that, or you're, you're a... Yeah, I, I just, I say PhD, PhD student. student. Yeah. Very I much think at the student beginning. and yeah. candidate are interchangeable. Yeah, so. okay. I always get confused. I feel like in some places in the world, there's, there's a difference between yeah. when you use which term, and I find here it seems interchangeable, but... Pretty much. Yeah, and there's yeah. that weird thing in the I think it's in the US where you defend your PhD. I don't even know what that means. I don't know either. I see these like people on Twitter, <laughs> and it's like it looks. It's almost like you have to turn up, and you you're there with the sword and your PhD, your sword in one hand, PhD in the other, and you've got people that verbally attacking you and dismembering your research in front of you. Is that a thing you'd be up for? I mean. <laughs> Probably not. But. Yeah, I. It just. I can't even really picture it. It just seems so strange. Yeah. I mean, we have the milestones. Yeah. So they're kind of like a very soft version of that, I think. Okay, so, yeah. so what does that mean? What, what, what so, are the milestones? Um, at Flinders University, um, PhD students or candidates um, have to every year give a presentation on how their research is going to. Um, a, um, so to a panel, so your supervisor and some assessors. So it's basically to keep track of your progress, but also to um, see if your goals are feasible and if you're actually progressing and making um, actual um, research. Towards, towards your thing. Yeah. Sweet. Well, that means... It's, uh, it's the end, uh, just about. So thank you, Tim. Thank you, Ellen. Um, and um... cheerio. Got <laughs> <laughs> to think of something wise. Like, no, no, cheerio. That'll do. It's yep. been a pleasure. Thank you. It's time to spread some paleo jam.